This podcast is provided for educational purposes and is not intended to replace discussions with your healthcare provider. All decisions regarding your care must be made with a healthcare professional, considering the unique characteristics of your personal situation. The opinions expressed are the opinions of the individuals recorded and not the opinions of Beatrice. Individuals featured in this podcast may have participated in the past or may be current members of an advisory group for Beatrice. Welcome back to Listen Well. On this episode, we'll be discussing the topic of building resilience during the COVID-19 pandemic. We know the pandemic has had a profound effect on all of society around the globe. We'll do a deep dive into understanding how this has affected individuals with a special focus on specific groups such as women, young people, and students, as well as frontline workers, paying particular attention to the effects on their well-being. We'll also have a discussion about resilience focusing on strategies and mechanisms to improve it. Resilience is such a vital concept that helps reduce the negative mental consequences of stressful events. We are very excited to have two special guests on today's show. Dr. Garth Manning, who has been a family doctor and is an expert in the area of general practice and primary care, as well as Sheikha Al-Zain Al-Subah, who is a previous deputy youth minister and a member of the ruling family in Kuwait. We hope that our discussion today will help you to build your own resilience during the COVID-19 pandemic and beyond for any other stressful life event, and also help you to decrease the negative consequences of stressful events in general. So sit back, relax, and listen well. Well, it's a great pleasure to have two amazing guests with us today. First of all, I'd like Dr. Garth Manning to tell our listeners a bit about himself. Dr. Manning, welcome and love to hear more about you and your work. Hello, everyone. I'm a family doctor and have been for 40 years. was not in clinical practice in more later, later years because I was the chief executive of the World Organization of Family Doctors. So I oversaw the organization, which has 550,000 family doctors all over the world. Uh, one of my particular interests is mental health, and I am a member of the Wonka Working Party on mental health, hence my involvement with this podcast today. Fantastic. And Sheikh Al-Zain, tell us about yourself and your work. Uh, I know you've done a lot of work with youth as well. Hello, my name is Zain Subah, and I am the chairman and CEO of National Creative Industries Group. It is a multimedia studio based in Kuwait that deals primarily and the facilitation, incubation, and production of quality media projects for the MENA region and beyond. I also had the great pleasure of serving as Deputy Minister at the Ministry of State for Youth Affairs in Kuwait, and had also the pleasure of working with Arab youth all over the Arab world. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to start off with a question for Dr. Manning. Uh, you know, we're talking about COVID-19 and its effects on people. What have you seen as effects of restrictions on people's well-being? I think it's been fairly major. I think for people who have had existing mental health conditions, it's often worsened their mental health. And even for people who previously had, had no mental health issues, I think incidences of, of depression and anxiety have, have certainly risen. There were so many different factors working, I think. you know, With lockdown, there was associated loss of employment, there were financial stresses. Parents were having to, to navigate the challenges of homeschooling while at the same time perhaps trying to work from home. And I think particularly for, for school age and university students, 
they were isolated from their peers and they lost their social networks. And this all created the perfect storm, really. Then in turn, we saw an increase in domestic violence and abuse. We've seen an increase in alcohol consumption and we've seen other substance abuse. So it's, it's been a, a really, really challenging time in terms of mental health. As we've mentioned, we've seen a rise in domestic abuse and substance abuse through the pandemic. And it's important that we mention that if you or a loved one are in a situation where you're struggling with domestic violence or substance abuse, there are resources available to help you. In an emergency, please call your local emergency number, 911 for the US and Canada. And know that there are local helplines and organizations ready to take your call. We have included some of their information in the notes for this show. You know, even before COVID-19, a loneliness epidemic worldwide has been talked about. And I wonder if the people you've worked with, whether in clinical work or in the organizations you work with, have they talked about loneliness increasing, especially with social distancing? I don't think any of us heard the word social distancing before COVID, and suddenly it's it's in the common lingua franca. Yeah, I think the social distancing and, and the isolation had fairly major impact on particular groups, I, I think the elderly who who were able at times to get out, even just going for a walk and meeting people or going to the shops or something like that, suddenly they didn't have those social outlets because of social isolation. You know, people may not have been allowed into their homes, so I think they became very very isolated. People who were particularly vulnerable to COVID nineteen, who also went into isolation for prolonged periods, I think it really had quite an adverse effect on their mental health. And in turn, has that really led to mental health diagnoses for at least some groups? Yes, I think it has. And I think that will continue for some considerable time. And that's the problem. It's not something that's that's just going to get better because COVID is is currently waning. I think a lot of the depression and anxiety and the, and the, the concerns will be ongoing. And, and so I think as family doctors, we're going to be faced with that for some considerable time. And I think for doctors as well, it was the work-life balance, especially in the early days, had a tremendous effect. Is that something you saw in the groups you work with? Absolutely. A huge, huge effect. I mean, I think in most countries in the early days, there was a shortage of personal protective equipment. And I think that so people became very, very anxious because of that. And then even when PPE became adequate, they were the departments and hospitals were just getting overwhelmed. And doctors and, and nurses and other health professionals you want to make people better. And in many cases, they weren't able to make people better. And they were they were seeing a lot of people dying on their shift. And I think that, that you know, their ability to cope just became worn down. And I think many of them got to the stage of burnout where they simply really weren't able to cope very well anymore. Yes. So a lot of people were experiencing burnout and much was made in the early days about doctors having to choose who would go on a ventilator and who would not. And that leading to tremendous conflict within their value system. Absolutely. As I said, doctors want to to make people better. Most of us work with some limitation of resources, but normally it would not be so critical as to whether somebody lived or died because they could go on a ventilator or they couldn't go on a ventilator. So I think that, that this was a huge conflict, I think, for health professionals. Absolutely. Uh, Sheikh Azani, you've worked with a lot of youth. You've done a lot of social media work. What did you see happen in the early days of the pandemic with whether youth or different age groups with regards to social media? 
Well, technically what happened was isolation and anxiety when, when we, that's what I saw happening just across all fronts. And when we couple these two emotions together, it puts us at a high risk of falling into a rabbit hole of, of misinformation. That's exactly what happened. It doesn't help that these two factors have been major culprits in the increase we see in our digital sc screen time. You know, that pop-up what comes up on your iPhone or on your, your handheld device and says your, your, your screen time has increased by like a hundred percent. And this further, further contributes to our information overload and further impacts our public health and well-being. It's, it's, it's really a very vicious cycle. And the more isolated and anxious we become, the more ripe the ground tends to be for the spreading of information or misinformation or information pollution, as I like to call it. And with billions of people being isolated in their homes, especially on the onset, in the onset of the pandemic, in order to contain the, the infection, the uncertainty has really risen to mass hysteria and panic. And we've seen this all over the world. And, you know, in this process, there has been a hidden epidemic of information, I believe, that makes COVID-19 stand out as a digital infodemic, really. From the onset of the pandemic, we had, we've been bombarded by repeated and detailed content about the virus, geographical statistics, even somebody that has no idea how to, to, to read a bunch of numbers absolutely became an expert and multiple sources of information. It came from all different ways and, and all, from different sources of information. And this all led to chronic stress and confusion on top of the isolation and anxiety. Add to this, you know, the, the plethora of misinformation, the rumors, the, the, of course, the infam infamous conspiracy theories that make their way into our phones and get circulated every day. And with increased digitization or digitalization, media penetration has increased exponentially with a more significant number of people aiding in this information pollution. I love that phrase, information pollution, because, you know, pollution, as we know, physical pollution, air pollution, water pollution is hazardous to our health. And it sounds the way you're describing it is information pollution can be very hazardous to our health as well. Oh, absolutely. We all know that curiosity is a basic human instinct and socialization increases it. But incomplete understanding, partial or biased interpretation, hearsay, rumor mongling, and even inadequate communication are the main ways that give rise to this kind of pollution, this information pollution. And so this leads to a type of really pollution of our overall, overall environment, digital, media, and otherwise. And they have been, Dr., many qualitative and quantitative studies done on social media, specifically in human behavior, during the earlier outbreaks of other health crises like SARS and I think influenza as well, they've all revealed that false and maybe perhaps commonly held beliefs, generalizations of traditional beliefs, negativity bias, social, you know, any kind of social modeling of rumors or over analysis or any sort of kind of faulty interpretation of science, coupled with fear really, amplifies this. And they've all contributed even more to the infodemics spread. Dr. Manning earlier talked about feelings of anger, depression, anxiety, fear, loneliness. I've seen research that looked at very specific groups all across the world that were differentially affected by some of these experiences, these feelings, even some of these disorders, especially focused on young people, on students, and on women. Sheikh Al-Zain, how have you seen these groups affected in the people you work with, among these populations you interact with? Did you see what the research is showing? 
absolutely. I, the pandemic has really exposed sharp economic and social inequalities and has certainly widened the already existing gap with the most vulnerable in society, especially women and girls. They're, they've been unequally impacted just by virtue of their gender. Healthcare access for women and girls has been disrupted, especially in the in the early days of the pandemic, because many healthcare clinics and the system at large really became overwhelmed with with the pandemic and healthcare, especially the healthcare centered on women's needs, took a backseat to all things COVID related. Also, I want to add to this that confinement and lockdowns all around the world increased gender based violence amongst women and girls, and the context of the pandemic really has made it more complex and difficult for women to access support. Obviously, doesn't even doesn't help that the majority of legal, police, and health services were overwhelmed at the time and were focusing their effort, efforts on pandemic management and response. And that meant, essentially, that women and girls had no choice but to stay locked up with their abusers, which is a very scary thing. And so for students and young people, yeah, and, and this, this affected students and young people in general, not just women, women and girls, I should stress that. Mm-hmm. So coming back to Dr. Manning, I know from previous conversations, in your heart of hearts, you're a family physician. How do you think this issue of kids b- being locked uh, out of schools affected the family unit, not just the child dynamic and their peer dynamic, but the whole family dynamic? Well, I think the family dynamic w- was often fairly badly affected anyway. We are social animals. We we actually usually like, even though we sometimes would deny it, we like to go to work we get away from our family our family get away from us for a few hours each day you come back with your experiences you sit and chat suddenly you know, families were were together 24 hours a day seven days a week and i think and you know if people were living in flats or apartments so the kids didn't even have a chance to get out to play then i think it became a very claustrophobic and potentially explosive environment Absolutely. You know, I want to shift gears a bit and, and shift positively, talk about some of the things people did to develop resilience. So starting with Sheikh Zain al-Sabah, how have you seen some of the most affected populations, especially youth, deal with the pandemic in, in positive ways or maybe in surprising ways? Well, you know, despite the challenging circumstances, we know that adolescents and young people are just naturally more agile, they're adaptable, and they're resilient during those challenging times. And we have seen this come to life truly during the pandemic. When a crisis hits, it is easier to respond if you already have useful tools in place and if you're prepared to innovate, reshape, and move fast. And who does this better than the youth? They are digital natives. They have high risk tolerance and have access to a world of of information at their fingertips, really. And young people, you know, during this pandemic, have become super active on social media on platforms like TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Instagram Live, especially Clubhouse. They informed us, they entertained us, they inspired us and continue to do so today. In fact, many new stars have been birthed out of the the COVID pandemic as a result. And with adversity always, you know, we know this comes opportunity and the youth understand this fully and more than any, any other demographic. The youth Essentially, during the onset of this of this crisis, we began to see them show up and volunteer, really step up to volunteer in numbers that we've never seen before. In communities around the world, they formed networks and innovative solutions to raise awareness about the pandemic and to help ease lockdown and to distribute food and supplies to all those who were unable to make it out to the grocery stores. For instance, we saw this so beautifully done and orchestrated by our own youth youth community here in Kuwait, uh, doctor. And they came out 
unified. They came out prepared and they came out strong, truly something to be immensely proud of. Also, another positive note here is the massive industry disruptions caused by the pandemic created a multitude of entrepreneurial opportunities for youth. And again, the youth population understood this so well. Many chose entrepreneurship over traditional employment and education. The fact that they were inherently entrepreneurial, they took it upon themselves to become even more literate in newer technologies and newer lifestyles. And they've grown to become, I would maybe describe them as super experimental and have in the process allowed even just for the larger growth of a culture that is not afraid to try new things. Actually, I think there's a recent study that EY did that more than half of Gen Zers today, especially under 25 years old, said they hope to own their own business in the next 10 years. And given all the different variables at play here, doctor, this is not surprising at all. On the climate front, you know, on the IT front, on the creative front, youth are building for the future. You know, they're, they are shattering the, the glass ceiling. They're using their energy and, the, and the, their agility to proactively provide solutions that will sustain and they will scale as we move forward. And through them, we will learn to live within a new existence, really. Right. And perhaps even make COVID a thing of the past. Hello, my name is Kenan Subramanian. I'm a psychiatrist and a global medical lead for Beatrice. While we're talking about COVID-19 and resilience, I'm really pleased to have the chance to tell you about our commitment to the field of mental health. There is no health without mental health. Now, more than ever, our well-being is challenged. We've all been under increased stress and we've seen people's mental health put under serious strain. We've seen this play out with well-known athletes in the global media, but closer to home, maybe you know someone who is struggling or maybe you're not aware that a friend or co-worker needs help. To help us learn more about the impact of COVID-19, we set out to measure in real time how the pandemic affects quality of life and access to healthcare for people with chronic illnesses. We partnered with healthcare and patient advocacy organizations worldwide, like members of the International Alliance of Patients Organizations, to survey frontline healthcare workers physicians and pharmacists, and patients to understand the impact, especially on people's mental health. Publishing our findings in peer-reviewed journals has allowed us to lead the conversation on what could be done to reduce that impact. This podcast is one such effort. We have also partnered with leading doctors, including from the World Psychiatric Association, to explore the role that stigma plays as a barrier to resolving mental health issues. Look out for a future episode of the Listen Well podcast on how we can overcome stigma. We hope you're enjoying Listen Well. Our team at Beatrice worked with Dr. Mo to create this podcast to encourage dialogue on important health topics because we want to power people worldwide to live healthier at every stage of life. What can we do to help build resilience during COVID-19 and even moving forward? What are some steps people can take? Well, I think of resilience really as, as almost a personality trait of being able to cope. And some people are able to cope much better than others with stressful or traumatic events. 
but I think you know, for those for those who who are less resilient, I think there are some strategies that we can offer them to tr- to try and, and and help them and to reduce their stress levels and anxiety and depression. And these would be things like you know encouraging them into a routine. So as much as possible, stick to the same routine as you always would have. Get up at the same time, eat meals at the same time, take medication at the same time, and so on. We talk about rituals. So you can have developed new rituals, such as having dinner virtually with friends or family. I mean, many of my friends might have Zoom drinks or might have family quizzes by Zoom throughout lockdown. And just to create new rules for maintaining lifestyle. So going for a short walk each day, limiting your time on social media, because you know, Sheikh Al Hussein has already mentioned the, 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 the problems that, that overexposure to, to social and other media creates. Um, and and look at strategies to lower cigarette and alcohol and, and, and drug use. And I think during lockdown, I think a lot of people actually you know, in, instinctively took a lot of this on board and, and did go out for walks and, and ate more sensibly, took more exercise. And in fact, in many cases, are living a much healthier lifestyle now, I think, as a result. So I think the lockdown has been has been quite beneficial for, for a large group of people. Maybe coming back to Sheikh Al-Zain and, uh, you know, Dr. Manning, if you want to chip in on this as well, another term I heard a lot in the beginning of the pandemic was is something called toxic positivity, and that expressing positivity too much could be something actually toxic to one's mental health. So uh, I want both of your takes on that, if you, if you may, maybe Sheikh Al-Zain, if you can start. You know, it's, it is very unrealistic to have that pressure of, of wanting people that are going through crisis to feel like they need to be positive regardless of the circumstances. I don't think it's realistic at all. And we all know that meditation quite literally become, you know, means becoming familiar with yourself. And that means with all your ups and downs. And it's not necessarily just being positive. And this is where kind of it irks me, this, this phase of toxic positive. Indeed, I absolutely agree with, with, with the term toxic positive, you know, positivity. However, I want to stress that we kind of bring it on ourselves when we assume that things are just black and white and there are no gray areas in between. Being mindful, taking on some sort of meditative positioning within yourself just requires you to really get to know yourself. And it's just such a deep ocean of, of, of incredible layers of emotion and, and, and thought that lives within us. And I feel that we are just simplifying it when we say, let's be positive. Let's allow ourselves to be up when we, when we feel, you know, that we need to be up. Be grateful, absolutely, for what we have in this moment, but also really allow ourselves also to feel kind of to live in that, in that trough in between those waves. I would agree with Sheikh Al Hussein. I think you know we encourage people to be up when they're up and accept that there are going to be days when when things aren't going so well, and it's perfectly okay to be down on those days. But to, to you know, it's it's a falsehood to to constantly project this positivity because life's just not like that. Yeah, you know, I kind of want to get a little personal here, so I can speak for myself, saying that some of these strategies both of you have talked about helped me, even as a human being, tremendously in the early days of the pandemic, having a routine, trying, you know, of course, I was working as a physician. So having trying to have that work life balance, taking a walk every day, getting some exercise, even though the gyms were closed. Uh, I want to ask both of you again, starting with Sheikh Hazin, have you used any of these strategies, whether the ones I just mentioned, or the ones we talked about earlier? And uh, if so, what were they what helped you the most? For me, I think what really drove me forward and allowed me, made me feel hopeful every day was was engaging with the community. 
and doing that holistically. The more I engaged with like-minded folks that felt the same way I did, whether, you know, I felt frustrated, whether I felt joyful, whether I felt whatever that emotion, that's that kind of scale of emotion was, I always looked for people that I can speak to about that and that I could perhaps vocalize. And, and then we start to almost intrinsically fill each other's gaps and take care of each other's needs. And I think that the sense of community really just helped me really just go through the, especially the first kind of few months of the pandemic. Yeah. In one piece. One piece is important. Yeah. And one and, piece is important. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dr. Manning, any strategies you personally used? Yeah, I was working right, right through the lockdowns and workload had went up since we were having to do everything virtually. So in fact, that was that made life fairly challenging. But routine, certainly sticking to the same routine as much as possible. My wife and I got out for a walk every day. You know, luckily the weather, which in Northern Ireland is often not particularly good, the weather was very good. So I, I took up gardening for the first time and to my surprise found that I quite enjoyed it. And we renewed acquaintances with friends through Zoom, which was really interesting. So that that sort of expanded our our, our sense of community again. I think because life's often too busy, and and you 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 mean to do things, and never quite get round to it. But because everybody was in the same boat, you could email somebody and say, "Oh, you you fancy meeting? You know, having a Zoom meeting for an hour this evening," and it was a great way to catch up with friends and family. We also inherited elderly relatives of, of a friend. So, you know, he lives overseas and his 90-year-old mother and his 83-year-old aunt were both living alone and clearly isolating. So we were we were helping them. And I suppose that gave us a, a slight sense of purpose and actually helped them as well, because even though we weren't going into the house or anything else, we could drop shopping at their door and they could come to the door and, and actually chat to us. And we, we were the only people that they were seeing. And you know, we did that two or three times a week. So to an extent, you know, that that helped us just as much, I think, as it helped them. Right. Yeah. Giving to others, giving and receiving meaning. It's amazing to me how many people have talked about little things like picking up a new hobby or a short walk. It's amazed me how many people have told me that they started noticing things in their neighborhoods that they didn't notice before just because of the rush of life. It's heartening to hear that there have been some positive effects and behaviors put into place through the pandemic. It might be helpful to take a moment and reflect on your own experiences over the last year and a half and make note of what you've discovered or practices you've implemented in your own life that may have boosted your own resilience. All of this really speaks to resiliency and that brings me to the maybe the last part of this episode talking about healthcare and healthcare teams to both of you because Listen Well is a, is a health-focused podcast. Uh, let me start with Dr. Manning. What is the importance of collaborating with the healthcare team, especially during times like this? Well, I'm a family doctor, and family doctors generally have a long-standing relationship with their patients, and they're well-placed to understand personal family and community contexts. And I think they appreciate the interrelationship between physical and mental health. And of course, you know, family doctors are only one part of a primary healthcare team. So I think that whole team working together all have specialist skills that they can bring to helping people. And of course, you know, people always think of drugs as being one of the first lines of treatment. But I think in, in a lot of this stuff, it's non-pharmacological interventions that we're particularly looking at. So it's encouraging positive behavior. It's 
encouraging people in physical activity and better nutrition. You know, there are all sorts of, of, of other non-pharmacological things that we can offer to our, to our patients to try and help them to develop this resilience that we, we talk about. One of the challenges we face with adolescents particularly is that they don't know how to use health systems. We teach them how to cross the road safely. We teach them all sorts of other things, but we don't teach them how to use health systems. And so sometimes they just don't know independently without their parents. They don't know how to access healthcare. But it's trying to think ahead and think, how can we help adolescents particularly to access healthcare in a, in a, in a non-judgmental way? and trying to ensure their, their privacy and confidentiality. Sheikh Hazin, you mentioned mental health, and we talked earlier in the episode about specific groups that were profoundly affected. What local experiences did you have in Kuwait that addressed mental health specifically? In the beginning of the pandemic, people felt anxious. Again, they felt isolated. And sometimes it just takes a village to build a network that can provide support for them. But because of the nature of this pandemic, the sudden nature of this pandemic, and the fact that all the usual uh, resources weren't available at the time, there were incredible people that just stepped up from the community, just incredible professionals, all doing their own thing. However, all sharing just many of the values that come with building a viable community. Again, sharing the same pain points. And we all know that no stronger, there's no stronger catalyst for grassroots based change than or, or support than this kind of kind of configuration. We had an incredible group of people uh, stepping up. We had a super team, a superstar team of doctors, you being one, Dr. Mo, and super grateful for that. It was an incredible team. We had mental health specialists, journalists, surgeons, behavior change specialists, social media influencers, vloggers, copywriters. We had video editors and cameramen and graphic designers all came together. Together, we got, we got super creative and super fast, and we built an information dissemination strategy to serve as a liaison between all official and unofficial networks in the larger community. And it was a very grassroots effort. And as a result of it, I'm very happy to report that we built and affected quite a lot of, of the media messaging that came out during this time in COVID, and also happened to launch a mental health support system, a platform that helped so many frontliners and people living in Kuwait at the time. You know, when I worked with you on that project, what struck me about the group, and you know, you certainly did an amazing job leading that diverse group of professionals, was the, it was very much a startup culture and things got done very fast. And I found myself reminiscing and wishing that this was, would be how it would always happen, even before or after COVID, that things would move fast and we would problem solve very fast. You know, that makes me think of, if both of you could share any accessible resources that are available for individuals that don't know where to start looking. So there's a website called headspace.com, which looks particularly at the digital mindfulness-based interventions. There's Beyond Blue, which, which has, has information on anxiety and depression and how to manage it. And there's health2health.gov.au, which also has a COVID mental well-being support subsite and you know they're all i think they're all very good resources if anybody is interested in in looking at them well you know i think i speak for all our listeners when i say that this episode really has a wealth of information and it's because of both of you as amazing guests and i really appreciate your time if you could leave us with some key messages take home messages that you want people to take out of this episode let me start with you sheikh alzain any key messages you want to wrap up with 
let me, it just warms my heart and gives me great hope in our shared humanity moving forward, knowing that today youth, what is it, 1.2 billion of the world's population, they're just a generation that is active. They are a generation that is compassionate, creative, entrepreneurial, risk-taking, giving, and they're super, super resilient. And, you know, I think just finding the opportunity in whatever challenge arises is a big directive. It has been for me. And I try to, to say the same to everybody I meet. Life is hard. There are many ups and downs, no matter how much we try to micromanage or speculate or prepare in an effort to minimize the downs and increase the ups. By the way, all things I'm guilty of doing, I must admit. But I've learned, and this wasn't easy, to surf the wave, to lay again in, the, in that trough between these waves when I fall. And I do fall continuously. Everybody falls. But I try to make a conscious effort to fall forward. And I urge that people try that as well, especially the youth. I encourage them to breathe and always, always take time to reflect on lessons learned along the way. For instance, one lesson I've learned is that there is always a silver lining in any crisis. We just need to step out of the cloud to see it, and pun intended here. Well, very well said, uh, Dr. Manning. Some key messages, take-home messages, things you don't want people to forget coming out of this episode. Well, to remember the three R's of routine, rituals, and the, and the rules, the new rules for maintaining your lifestyle. And I think just remember, first of all, we are all in it together, that everybody is suffering in their own way. But the current situation, it's nobody's fault. It's time limited and hopefully is completely manageable. So I think we have to take that positive message home. And in the meantime, you may have fewer face-to-face encounters, but you may have deeper relationships or social contacts, which don't depend on face-to-face all the time. And it's a way, as I think we've all experienced, of renewing some of our social contacts. So, you know, I think those are positives that we can take away from it all. Absolutely. And I love your three R's because the big R from today's episode is resilience. Yes. So uh, that's, a, that's a fantastic way to end the episode. Thank you both so, so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. I know you're both very busy, but I can say we've learned so much from both of you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Moa. Thank you, Dr. Manning. It's a pleasure. We hope this episode has shed some light on resilience building during the COVID-19 pandemic and even offered some new strategies for you to try to help increase your own resilience. These strategies could be used in any stressful life event. Remember that you are not alone and you are stronger than you may think. And the good news is that resiliency is a buildable skill. You can develop it more and more with practice and with intention. As always, I encourage you to have an open and honest health conversation with your healthcare provider and stay on top of any issues affecting your health or well-being. It's up to you to be your own best health advocate, no matter the issue. I'd like to sincerely thank Dr. Garth Manning and Sheikha Al-Zain Al-Sabah for providing their expertise and personal experience on this topic. I'm Dr. Mo Al-Swaydan. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for more information or resources about the topics covered in this or other episodes, you can visit www.listenwellpodcast.com. I'm Dr. Moel Suedan. Thanks for listening. Brought to you by Beatrice, empowering people worldwide to live healthier at every stage of life. Powered by Beatrice.